Hey everyone, welcome back to episode two of the Steadfast Podcast. My name is Dale Overlock. I'm the pastor of the Steadfast Church in Bangor, Maine. And last week we talked about the Supreme Court, we talked about Saudi Arabia, and we started our journey through the book of Genesis. And of course, we're glad to have you back listening again this week. This week we're going to talk about creation, we're going to talk about atheism, we're going to talk about abortion, and a few other things in our new segment called Some Things to Keep an Eye On. And in our Through the Bible segment, we'll be talking about the six days of creation from Genesis chapter 1. And again, if you enjoyed this program, please subscribe to the podcast and let others know about it as well. So let's dig into the first segment, Some Things to Keep an Eye On. All right, some things to keep an eye on. This is our new segment where we match up what's happening in the world with the Bible, with God's Word. And this week we're going to tackle several topics, starting with creation. Where we are in Genesis and through the Bible segment, I want to talk about creation in our new segment. And we get an article here from the Jerusalem Post here. And this is what it says. 6,500-year-old furnace discovered in Bathsheba. It's important to understand that the refining of copper was the high tech of that period, it says. It says Bathsheba may have been the true birthplace of startup nation, speaking of Israel. Since according to a new study by Tel Aviv University and the Israel Antiquities Authority, the capital of Negev, could have been the home of the world's first furnace 6,500 years ago. It details how a 6,500-year-old workshop for smelting copper ore once operated in the Neva Noi neighborhood of Bathsheba. And this study sheds light both on the level of technical advancement in that area and region and the hierarchy in the society. And it goes on, giving evidence for a theory that there was a clearly defined elite that possessed expertise and new professional secrets, was preserved its power because its members were the only ones who knew how to create shiny copper. And the story goes on. Jerusalem Post says, The study, which was conducted over several years, began in 2017 in the capital of Negev, when the workshop was first uncovered during an Israel Antiquities Authority emergency archaeological excavation to safeguard antiquities. According to Abulafia, uh, the director of the excavation on behalf of the Israel Antiquities Authority, he says this, quote, The excavation revealed evidence for domestic production from the Chalcothic period, about 6,500 years ago. The surprising finds include a small workshop for smelting copper with shards of a furnace, a small installation made of tin in which copper ore was smelted, as well as a lot of copper slag. Okay, what's all this about? Okay, the truth is, we will get into some of this today in our study of the six-day creation. According to the Bible, the Bible speaks of mankind, human beings, being made perfect. We were created perfect. We didn't start out as some... Um, kind of caveman. We didn't start out as dumb. We didn't start out and then all of a sudden got smarter as time went on, okay? We actually were created with intelligence. 
Adam was created not a baby, but he was created with age dating factors. He was created mature and with a perfect intelligence. So in saying that, we don't have specific things in the Bible, but most likely the truth is early mankind knew how to do things that we don't even understand today in our fallen state. See, God created mankind in a perfect state. Now, of course, after Adam sinned, we started the fall from that perfection. Adam and Eve, though, they weren't some kind of cave people. That's not who Adam and Eve were. Uh, they, they were very smart. And they were very intelligent here. And the truth is, though, once sin entered the world, our intelligence went down. Okay? As the effects of the fall of mankind took place. So when you look at the things like the ancient pyramids, genius, right? It's not that we're smarter today, okay? We're actually, the, the world is decaying. It's falling apart. When we were man was created, we were created in a perfect state. In the, in, in the ancient pyramids, you can see this genius behind that. And there also have been many other things discovered in Egypt that show great intelligence in our past as human beings. So the thought of evolution just doesn't make sense. Yeah, somehow things evolve and we get smarter and things are getting more complex. No. The truth is everything decays and we know that. Our bodies are falling apart. Houses fall apart. Cars fall apart. Everything is going um, to a state of decay, getting worse, not better. Not evolving into something better. Evolution doesn't make sense. Our ancient people, they were very smart. God created them that way. And you notice the story. Um, we don't know exactly how old this is. They said around 6,500 years old. Um, if you believe in young earth, um, the, 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 the Bible speaks of Adam to now as being around 6,000 years. So that, that seems about right in the earlier age here. And they said they had this old furnace, really the a creation of a furnace here and and, um, and copper, smelting copper and shards of a furnace were found. And the idea is ancient people weren't just some slug somewhere, some ooze that had to develop into some kind of intelligence. No, they started out intelligent. God created his creation perfect until the fall of mankind came and started decaying everything. So evolution doesn't make sense. Our ancient people were very smart. The world today is decaying. It's not evolving. So I also want to talk about atheism today a little bit. Because uh, Kristen Post had this article I'd like to share with you guys. It says here that the atheists sue Alabama over the phrase, so help me God, in the voter registration oath. And it goes on and says, the Freedom From Religion Foundation filed a lawsuit against Alabama's Secretary of State, John H. Merrill, claiming that the state's voter registration form is unconstitutional because it includes an oath that says, so help me God. Alabama is the only state in the country that requires voters to register on a form, meaning they swear, so help me God, without allowing any option of a secular affirmation. So it goes on the story here. The Wisconsin-based atheist group sent in a statement announcing it filed a lawsuit in the U.S. District Court from the Northern District of Alabama, 
Southern Division this week. A quote here says, the Alabama Secretary of State, uh, they say, excludes Alabama citizens from being able to vote if they are unable to swear a religious oath, states the lawsuit, filed on behalf of four Alabama residents who have encountered and objected to this religious test when trying to register to vote. And it continues on here. It says the Secretary of State's official policy is to hinder the registration of voters who are able to swear, so help me God. This policy violates the rights of the plaintiffs and other under the First and Fourteenth Amendments to the United States Constitution. That's what they're saying here. So Randall Cregan, an atheist and one of the four plaintiffs, said the bottom of the voter declaration section warns, read and sign under penalty of perjury. So if you falsely sign the statement, you can be convicted in prison for up to five years. Cregan said when he contacted the Secretary of State's office, the Director of Elections informed him there is no legal mechanism to register to vote in Alabama without signing the oath as it is stated. If you cross out a portion, the Board of Registrars in your county will reject the application and ask you to resubmit. And Cregan was quoted as saying in the FFRF statement, the Office of the Secretary of the state reportedly told FFRF that the voter registration forms are prescribed by statute and would therefore require legislative action. All up in arms because a part of the registration says, so help me God on it. And the truth behind this is, whether you acknowledge it or not, everybody knows that God is real. They do. Some may call themselves agnostic or atheist, but the scripture is clear. That the very creation declares that there's God. And the, the historical evidence, scientific as an evidence, um, uh, nothing in the Bible has ever been disproven, but lots have been proven. Okay, It's very clear, and people know right in their conscience that, that there is a God. And the thought of atheism really is an out for people, so they don't have to be held accountable. Everybody knows God is real. And although I'm surprised that it still says, so help me God in their paperwork, that's a little surprising in today's day and age. The truth is, that is part of our foundation of the United States. It's part of our standard of honesty to say, so help me God. That's, that's what we've done through the court systems, through, through things in the United States. It's part of our honesty here. So any attempts to take God out of our documents out of the government in which we were founded upon God's principles, no doubt, any attempt to bring it out is because of not wanting to hold to that moral standard that the Bible speaks of. Because here's the deal. If you admit God is real, then what happens? Then you are held to, uh, you're held accountable. You're held to a standard. Many don't want that standard of accountability. Many don't want to live by certain morals. So they cry atheism. But I don't believe there really is any atheist out there. I believe uh, everybody knows deep inside that there is a God. And those that don't acknowledge him are fighting him and fighting the truth. Another subject I wanted to bring up tonight, uh, and we kind of talked about a little bit last week with the Supreme Court decisions. But this came out this week, so we want to talk about the subject of abortion here. From the Epic Times here, it says President Donald Trump on Tuesday said he opposes a proposal from Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden to pass a national abortion law. 
Yes, you heard that correctly. And Trump goes on and says, wow, Joe Biden just took a more liberal position on Roe versus Wade than Elizabeth Warren at her highest. Trump wrote that on Twitter. And he continues on, Trump here and says, Biden Democrats just clarified the fact that they are fully in favor of very late-term abortion, right up until the time of birth and beyond, which would be execution. And he's right by that. That would be execution. That's murder. And the article goes on here and says, Biden even endorsed the governor of Virginia, who stated this clearly for all to hear. And they're talking about Virginia Governor Ralph Northam here, a Democrat who last year appeared to say that killing a baby who had already been born would be fine under a state legislative proposal by a minority of Americans. A number of uh, Democratic lawmakers support abortion up until birth and positions supported by a minority of Americans, it says here, according to surveys. Biden, during a town hall in Florida on Monday night, said he would push to enact legislation that would get access to abortions if the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. And this is what Joe Biden quoted here. This is quoting Joe Biden. He says, And the only thing, the only responsible response to that would be to pass legislation making Roe the law of the land. That's what I would do, Joe Biden says. So if they overturn Roe versus Wade in the Supreme Court, we're just going to make it the law of the land, he says. So here's the truth. Voting, so important. And probably every time voting comes around, what people say is that is it's the, 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 the greatest election ever. It's, it's more important now than ever. And that's probably has been true through the years. Okay, yeah, it is important. It is important. It's always important. But I believe this is a pendulum point for us as a nation. If you agree that abortion is murder, like the Bible states that it is, then the choice is very clear. If Joe Biden is elected, he wants to make it a law of the land instead of just a Supreme Court decision. If you are a believer, I'm encouraging you, stand up for babies' lives. Go and vote. You can be a hero for these babies. You can. And the contrast between the two candidates for president is huge. There's not really much similarities, really. Now, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. That is your decision. But if your values match the Bible, then I encourage you to vote with biblical values. CNSnews.com reports this. Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden said Thursday that he'll reveal his opinion on packing the Supreme Court once the election is over because he doesn't want the media to report on it and distract from what's happening now. During a campaign stop in Arizona with his vice presidential running mate, Senator Kamala Harris, Biden was asked about court packing. And this is his quote, what he said. He said, they'll know my opinion on court packing when the election is over. Now, look. He continues on, Biden says, I know it's a great question. I don't blame you for asking, but you know the moment I answer the question, the headline in every one of your papers will be about that other than other than focusing on what's happening now, he said. Here's the truth. Again, so important to go vote and go vote the Bible if you are a believer. Don't go based on emotions. Okay? 
Uh, don't go based on, I don't like this person. I don't like what happens here. Go and vote the Bible. Not based on motions, but based on truth. If you're a believer, I encourage you to do that. If you're not a believer, go vote your values. The important thing is go and vote based on truth. And the truth is babies' lives are at stake. Freedom is at stake in this election. America as we know it is at stake. Here's a story from Breitbart. Thursday during an appearance on FBN's Making Money, Senator Ted Cruz reacted to his colleague, Senator Kamala Harris, the Democratic vice presidential nominee. He reacted to her refusal to answer a question about packing the Supreme Court. According to the Texas Republican, such refusals by Harris and Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden shows the unpopularity of the tickets, quote, extreme agenda. And Harris, uh, I mean, I mean, Ted Cruz here says, I think packing the court would be incredibly damaging, he said. It was striking last night in the debate. I think Vice President Pence did a terrific job, Cruz said here. And four times he tried to nail Kamala Harris down on whether or not she and Joe Biden support packing the court. And four times she just refused to answer, like Joe Biden did last week. And Cruz here says, I think the reason is they and their party, they want to pack the court. They want to fill it with political cronies that would destroy the independence of the court. And it really is a radical vision, Cruz continued. And he quotes again, but I, I also took encouragement. The fact that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are running away from their extreme agenda, they're not defending it in the debates, it just shows how unpopular that is with the American people. We want constitutionalists who will protect our free speech, who will protect our religious liberty. And that's why the confirmation of Judge Barrett is so important right now, Ted Cruz says. So here's the truth. They're not answering whether they'll pack the Supreme Court or not. It's because they don't want people to know their agenda. Why? Because they know it's not popular. If they, if they thought it was popular, they would answer. They want to do what they need, need to do, and they're going to do what they need to do to get in and then go through with their agenda. So, so read your history. Know your history. Know about communism. Not just what they may tell you in the university or the public school system. But what really happened in communist societies and those that are going through it right now, like China, you don't want communism. You don't want loss of freedom. You don't want the government having everything, including power, and everyone else having nothing, including not having a voice to speak. So a big election coming up, and I can't encourage you enough. Be educated. Go vote your values. If you're a big believer, go vote the Bible. What does the Bible mean by the word light? What does it mean by darkness? Was creation six consecutive days? What was the original atmosphere like on earth? And what did that mean for life expectancy? And much more in our Through the Bible segment, a chronological outlook to give you a full picture of the Bible, the Word of God. Okay, this is our Through the Bible segment. 
as we go chronologically through the Word of God. And we happen to be in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, this evening. When we left off last week, we covered the beginning of Genesis. We talked about in the beginning. When was the beginning? The beginning was a time period we talked about where time and space came into this world. Before the beginning, there was no time and space. Before the beginning would be eternity past. That's where God exists. He has always existed. Uh, there has not been a time when God did not exist. He doesn't have to live in time and space like we do. So in the beginning, when time and space existed, God created. God there, literally Elohim. Elohim. So El being God. Um, Elohim, plural. But not gods, not Trinity as gods, but God. So Elohim, it, the idea is the Trinity there. The Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, so plural in that sense, but not plural in the sense that it's gods, it's one God. They were all there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God together at the beginning. And that is the foundation for life. That is the foundation of a believer's faith. If you get that in the beginning, God. The rest of the Bible is easy. In the beginning, God created. He can create. God can do anything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth we talked about. Created. Bara is the word in the Hebrew. Bara literally means to make from nothing. Not taking some kind of elements like we do when we create something. We take elements that already exist. No, God made something to exist that did not exist. The actual element he created. Uh, the only original design is by God. We talked about how, or, how old the earth was. And the answer to that was the Bible does not tell us. We have some ideas. We, I think it's pretty clear on how long it is from Adam to today. I believe that's around 6,000 years. But from Genesis 1 to Genesis uh, two and what's happening there verse one and verse two we don't quite sure we don't really know how long that time period is okay there's this room to um really think about did something happen there to create it as chaos possibility it does say it became chaos so something happened there we don't know so we don't know how old the earth is in the beginning, it said God created the heavens and the earth. And they became chaos, became void, uh, empty. It became chaos. Something happened that caused chaos to happen. So as chaos has taken place, it leads us up to this next verse in verse 3, picking up where we talked, uh, where we left off last week. In King James Version here, verse 3. Of Genesis, it says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. So when we left off last week, the heavens and earth were created. And the earth somehow became chaos and vacancy or empty. Now, we see light starting to enter our universe here. 
And that is always what needs to happen to deal with chaos. When there is chaos, light has to be shined into the situation. And that's what's happening here. God shines his light on this empty, chaotic earth here. And light shows us what is there, right? You, you're not able to see something there unless light shows up. Without light, we would have no clue. We have no clue what's around unless light shows up. And God said, it says here, and God said, let there be light. And God said, didn't have to, God didn't have to make the light with his hands. He didn't have to work hard and struggle to do it. It says, and God said. So literally, all he had to do was to speak the words. Now, something we must understand is that light, it's different from the sun, different from the moon, the stars. The sun, the moon, the stars, which were, they were all created on the fourth day, as we will see going through. That means light isn't just some physical thing that we see. Light is a much broader subject than that. Light, biblically speaking, has supernatural characteristics also. When we get to the revelation of John, the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 5. It will tell us that there will be no sun and moon in a period where there's going to be the new heavens and the new earth that will be taking place sometime in the future. That has not happened. That's a ways off. But yet, where there's not going to be any sun or moon there, in Revelation it speaks that light will be there, though. In that case, God will be the light. The light is not just seen, but it also can be felt. Just like darkness can. In Exodus chapter 10, verse 21, it speaks of the darkness there. It says that the darkness that, that the God sent upon the Egyptians, they could actually feel it. They could feel the darkness. So it's saying that light and darkness, they're not just physical things, but they're supernatural as well. In this case, has nothing to do with the sun, the moon, the stars, but light was there anyways. Verse 4 here, reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. It says, And God saw that the light was good. He saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. Now, yes, of course, this is talking about creation here. But I want you also to see that this is a picture here, a picture, which you will often see in the Old Testament. It will show you pictures uh, of, a, of a greater truth. And this right here, and God saw the light, it was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God separating the light from the darkness is a picture of what the entire Bible is about. The entire Bible is about the grace of and mercy of God extended to all mankind. And we will see later on that man ends up inheriting a sin problem due to the sin of Adam. And just like the world that was created to be inhabited, right? God created it, not void. He created it to be inhabited. Just like that, what happened? He created it to be inhabited, but it became chaos and vacancy. 
We saw in verse 2. The same thing happened to mankind. Okay? Mankind is created perfect. We talked about it in a new segment. Very intelligent, okay? In a perfect state. So mankind was created great, perfect. We were created in a perfect state. Then due to the sin of Adam, chaos happens. And vacancy took place, emptiness. So it's a picture here. Men, after that point, we'll get to as we go through here, but men were then born without a personal connection to God. Born spiritually dead. And men from that point on were born loving darkness. But the Bible is God's love story. In this book, it's his love story. And it says that he sends his only begotten son, Jesus, to the earth to separate the light from the darkness. And God said, let there be light. So the picture is God is sending his own son said, let there be light. Let there be Jesus. Here's Jesus. And it was good. Right? God sent the light. He said, God saw that the light was good. The same thing. He sends Jesus into this world. He says, it's good. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He says that of Jesus. He's the light. So it says here again, verse 4, and God saw the light and it was good. Picture here. And God separated the light from the darkness here. That is our end as end of our story as human beings. God will separate the light from the darkness. Those in the light, that is those receiving the salvation of God, freely that he freely gives us through Jesus, which we'll clearly see as we go through the scriptures. But those that receive the salvation of God freely through his gift, Jesus, or in the light, they will be separated from those that are in the darkness. Those that are in the darkness are those that stay in chaos and vacancy, emptiness. Those that stay in their sinful state. Those that die in sin will go to a place called the lake of fire. And those that have received the light will be separated unto an eternity with Jesus Christ face to face. So again, this verse, and God saw the light and it was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. A literal thing that happened, absolutely. But the greater picture is God sent his light, Jesus, into the world. And those that believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And God's going to separate the light from the darkness. Those are there that belong to Jesus and those that don't. Verse 5 here. King James Version here. says, And God called the light day. In the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, there is no reason whatsoever in any of the Hebrew language here to not take this as a literal day. Some like to state that it's a period of time, but the language does not indicate that here. So from verse 3 to the end of creation here, I believe we are talking about six literal days 
In fact, Moses said in Exodus that God made everything in six days. Can't get much clearer than that. The, the, the literal six days of creation. What happens between verse 1 and verse 2? We don't know how long that was. Okay, But once start, God starts his creation, he says, and this was the first day. These are six literal days of creation. Verse 6 here through verse 8 here. Reading through the uh, RSV version here. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and separated the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And there was evening and there was morning a second day. Now, the literal translation here in today's language would be what we understand as the atmosphere. Okay, It's talking about the firmament. Let, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Okay? The literal understanding here is let there be an atmosphere. Okay, So this is literally talking about the atmosphere here. The Hebrew word is rockwell. The idea behind that word is to expand with no limits, and that's the atmosphere, okay? To expand with no limits. And we see that continuing to happen today. The New Living Translation says, let there be space. Okay, so the atmosphere here, it was there to separate waters from the waters, it says. So the indication here is there is some kind of water in the atmosphere. So water vapor, indeed, but it's much more than we understand of that today. And we kind of have a hard time picturing this of what's going on here because this is not how our earth is today. But again, when we study scripture, we've got to put ourselves in that time period and what it's actually saying. We need to keep in mind that this is how the earth was when it was created, before the fall of man. Once the man, once man fell, once sin entered the world, the whole world changed. Before sin entered the world, uh, it was different. So because we don't have this atmosphere, we have a different climate on our earth today. Okay? We don't have the same climate that they had because our atmosphere is different. They have here what's called a firmament here. In the in, in in heaven, and that's not speaking of where God dwells. You look up, you see the heavens. Okay, it's the sky. It says, and because of this water that's up there, and this is more of like a blanket, a canopy, a blanket of water in the atmosphere. Because of this, the Earth will have more of a greenhouse effect. So the Earth during this point of creation, it stayed mild all year long. It would be that way also throughout the whole Earth. Without these temperature changes up and down, they wouldn't have to deal with things like storms like we have today. In fact, rain as we know it today, that wouldn't be taking place. They would have a tropical vegetation in this tropical land. This earth was tropical. The tropical vegetation would grow by more of uh, an evaporation and condensation cycle, okay? Dew on the ground, that kind of thing. Uh, compared to the uh, what we got for our water cycle today. 
So in the original creation, what's happening here is there is no such thing as winter. Those of us in the Northeast, I'm, I'm, we're in Maine here, might say, oh, I wish, I wish that was the case, right? Winters can be tough. There was no winter. There was no spring. There was no summer, no, no fall. There was no seasons. There was no changes as far as uh, up and down of the temperatures go. Those seasons were not established in creation. The seasons came later after the fall of man, after sin entered the world. So picture this, me being from Maine, picture it, Maine being mild all year long. More than that, picture this, picture the North Pole staying mild all year long. Amazing. So the world here was created what we would picture to be paradise. Paradise to be like, a tropical paradise. They picture that. And because of this, because the way the world was and, and, the, and no seasons and the temperature, the tropical environment, scientists in archaeological digs and different things, they've actually found mammoths in Siberia, cold country. And they discovered these mammoths in ice that was frozen at some point in our history. But there is proof that they actually came from a tropical environment. Just on the inside of these creatures, when they studied them, they found that they found in the ice, they found tropical vegetation in their digestive tracts. How could, how could an animal that's frozen in the North Pole have tropical vegetation in their digestive tracts? How can that be in the North Pole? Guess what? The same thing is found in the South Pole. There have been charcoal deposits found under 200 feet of ice. The earth, see, the earth had great protection with this blanket, this canopy, this firmament in the atmosphere. A perfect environment God created for mankind until the fall of man came. This perfect environment changed, it diminished. And decay started to happen as a result of the fall of man when sin came into this world. So with all this protection, this blanket there, they would have be protected from what would be cosmic radiation, okay? And if you don't have the cosmic radiation like we do around today, you don't have as much cell damage. So therefore, if you don't have as much cell damage and 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 changes in the body due to cosmic radiation. People live longer in that day, longer than we do. Today, we get mutations due to cosmic radiation causing our lifespan to be smaller than, than that day. So this water blanket here, I, I believe, was removed during what we call the worldwide flood in the time of Noah. And after the flood, what happened to the world? It was a whole new land, including the atmosphere. That blanket was no longer there. And when you think about it, where could all the water for a worldwide flood come from? Well, if this is blanket of water in the sky all around the world, all of a sudden it lets go. That would be plenty of water, right? It would be water that brings down judgment upon the land in a worldwide flood. 
So the area here between the waters to separate the waters, God calls heavens here. Heavens. And we'll continue on in our next segment in verse 9. If you live in the central main area and would like to visit the Steadfast Church, we're located at 744 Hogan Road in Bangor, Maine. We have a Sunday service at 10 a.m. Currently, we are going through the book of Luke. We have a midweek service on Wednesday evenings at 6 p.m. Currently, we're going through the book of Jeremiah. We also have a youth group that meets on Saturday evenings from 5.30 to 8 p.m. Target audience is 6th grade through 12th grade. And right now we're going through a series called True Story. It talks about an identity in Christ. Who is God and who are we? And, and what is God's expectation for us? So if you'd like to visit us, uh, we would encourage you to come on out and check us out and grow with us. All right, picking up in verse 9. From the New Living Translation here, says, Then God said, Let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place, so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. Sky. Literally, uh, it says the heavens, okay? What we often call sky, but it says the heavens. So before this day, the earth was covered with water. That's what it was. You looked around, it was all water. The whole thing. Now God is putting water in a specific place. So that it all flows together in, in, in specific places. And once God moves the water underneath, in places where he didn't want the water, dry ground starts to appear when he removed the water here. Continues on in verse 10 in NIV. As God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. So literally, uh, the word literally here is confluence, uh, the joining of the waters, okay? And gathered the waters, he's joining them together. And then when he does that, land appears. Verse 11 through 13, continuing in the NIV. It says, then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And it literally reads here, uh, and he is saying, Elohim. Okay, so with God, when it says God, is speaking of the, the Trinity here. And he's saying, Elohim, let the land vegetate vegetation. Okay, it's going to sound a little um, jumbled here in the words. But literally, if you read it through the uh, Hebrew here, it says, let the land Vegetate vegetation, herbage sowing seed, fruit trees, 
making fruit after noticing her species of him, whose seed is in him, on the land, and it was so. So the most important thing here is to understand that all the plants here were made after their own kind. And literally, it says here, species, made after its own species. So the fruit after the species of him here. So far, science hasn't proven against living things bearing fruit after its own kind. You don't sow one thing and come up with something else. Plants don't evolve just like human beings and animals don't evolve. If you plant wheat, it will never grow up to be a different grain. It will not come out as a corn stalk if you plant wheat. It always ends up as wheat. You see, human beings, we have, you could call it a computer code. Uh, we have something called DNA. It tells us what we are to be. Same things with plants and animals. There is information in the code that determines what it will be, and that will change. And if you look at plants and their very creation around this earth, you can't help to be overwhelmed by God's genius. You look at the different things they created and how the, the process of different seeds, whether it be a coniferous tree that, that, that has a cone for a seed or, or, or it just has spores or, or, or seeds itself, and how they're all specifically designed, it's clear for all that God created. There's some kind of design there. There's, there's, there's no chance that it was chance. No chance that things happen by chance. Chance, or like we talked about last week, it's just a probability. But the truth is, chance of something happening is based on who's doing the designing behind that thing and that's going to happen. Okay? We've talked about flipping a coin. It, where it lands depends on how hard you flip the coin, not probability. Okay, there is a there is a design behind it. There is action behind it, and it's amazing how God's creation, along with everything else, proves He is indeed real. And God, He's a super genius. We we can't even fathom a, a minute amount of what He understands and knows and does. Now it's interesting here the plants. Here were created before the sun and the moon. Interesting. If God created the plants already, say, they were already grown like a tree with age-dating factors, like Adam. Adam wasn't created a baby. Um, maybe God didn't create the plants a baby plant. Maybe he created them mature. Okay? I think probably he did. God, no doubts, can do that. He knows how to create things with age-dating factors, just like Adam. You'll see later. He did not create him a baby, but a man. If that is the case, plants, we know, can survive without sun for a day, right? And if this is a literal six days of creation, that's okay. Uh, and God had created him already mature, ready to go, all right? And the sun's coming the next day, right? The sun's coming, all right? So they're going to be fine. It's okay that God created him before the sun and the moon. I think that we need to be aware Though God does not need the sun to have light, though, right? We already, he already created light. He hasn't created the sun yet, but he already created light. Again, Revelation 21, 23 tells us of a day when there will be no sun or moon or stars, because there will be no need of them. God will supply all the light we need. There's no reason to think that God could have done things at the beginning the same way he's going to end it. 
So how did life begin? Not evolving over time. Life began with plants here. Plants that were directly created by God. It says here, according to the various kinds, their species. And this is always true. It's always within its kind. Now, you can have variations within its kind, but you will never have one kind developed into another species. Okay? They don't evolve. And God here, he, he saw that it was good. But some will take this passage as saying, okay, God created plants. And he sees them as good, so that means drugs are good. And uh, he called them good so we can participate in drugs, right? We can smoke pot. We can smoke marijuana. God did create plants and called them good. That's true, but plants are not created for every purpose. Know that. Everything God creates has specific purposes. If you use it for the wrong purpose, it doesn't, I mean, it's not necessarily right. God has specific purposes for everything he created. Just like alcohol, for example. Alcohol has many antiseptic benefits. Doesn't mean it was created to alter your state of mind. Everything was created for its proper use. There's absolutely a place for prescription drugs under the supervision of a doctor, okay? But there is no place for recreational drugs including the biggest one, is alcohol. If it alters your mind, don't do it as recreational. The truth is the Bible actually condemns drug use. Um, it's, it's called pharmakia in the scriptures. It often associates pharmakia, by the way, with darkness, something we're called out of, right? God will separate it, just like he separated the light from the darkness in the beginning here. He's going to separate the light from the darkness in the end. Pharmakia is associated with darkness, with witchcraft, the occult, sorcery, drugs, and all that. That's all together. But it is condemned in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. There is no case to be made for recreational drugs from the Bible. Let's look at verse 14 through 19 here. And I actually, uh, using the Young's literal translation here, because uh, it fits the purpose uh, close to the... It's closest to the original language, I believe, and it really shares what needs to be said here. So Young's little translation here says, And God saith, Let luminaries be in the expanse of the heavens to make a separation between the day and the night. Then they have been for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And they have been for luminaries in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, and it is so. And God maketh the two great luminaries, the great luminary for the rule of the day, and the small luminary, and the stars for the rule of the night. And God giveth them in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, and to rule over day and overnight, and to make a separation between light and the darkness. And God seeth that it is good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. So we now have the sun and moon here. And what's their purpose? It says here to mark appointments, to mark time. And that's been the case since the beginning. Mankind has used the sun and moon to appoint time and seasons. Now the small luminary here, 
Okay, your, your scripture might say, it calls it the moon, okay? But um, in the literal translation, it's, it's a small luminary. Now, the truth is, um, the moon doesn't have any light on its own. But it here's the thing, and then some will pick up on that and say, hey, and the moon doesn't have any light. What is it talking about here? Well, what is the, the original translation says? It doesn't have any light its own, but it does what? It does illuminate. And that is what the language says. That's why I use the Young's literal translation here. Because the language clearly says luminate, not light. It's not calling the moon a light, okay, in the original translation. Uh, but it does illuminate. The moon is just a light holder. It's not a light. It does not make its own light. It's a light holder. It illuminates. So there's no contradiction if you go directly to how it's translated in the original language. Some will point out having a problem in this first chapter because it says the light of the moon. It does not say the light of the moon in the original translation. That's why I used Young's literal translation here. It calls it a luminary. A luminaire gives off light, and the moon definitely does that, right? It gives off light. The Hebrew word is meor. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a source of light, but it gives off light. Kind of like a mirror. A mirror can be a light holder, right? So God here, he sets the sun in a perfect place in the sky. Just think if the sun were a little bit closer, you all burn to death. If it was a little further away, we'd all freeze to death, right? You think that's by chance? I don't think so. It takes great faith to think that happened by chance. Greater faith than it takes to believe in God and his design. See, God is a perfect genius. And you notice all the complexities in this world and the way it works, there has to be a God. That's the only explanation. Nothing else makes sense. And the truth is there is a God. The Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God. Verse 20 here, using the ESV here, the English Standard Version, says, And God said, Let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. Okay, so what, the first life that was created was plants. Okay, what do plants have? They have roots, right? They're connected somehow. Now we see more complex life forms that are able to move on their own. And the genius behind it, the, the animals and, and these birds here, the, 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 the swarm, swarm of living creatures and the birds that fly over, the instincts they have. The instincts and design shows great thought from God. A genius making many variety of creatures in the water and creatures that fly. All with built-in understandings of how to live, where they're to go, how to survive, how to thrive. Amazing. Animals did not come from some kind of plant life. Animals were created afterwards. Okay? Verse 21 here. From the DBY, the Darby translation. It says, And God created the great sea monsters. And every living soul that moves with which the waters swarm after their kind. And every winged fowl after its kind. And God saw that it was good. 
Verse 22 through 23 in the NIV says, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas. and Let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning and there was the fifth day. Now evolution can't solve the problem of species here. Because everything is made after its own species. No matter what species they try to prove evolved to another species, it doesn't work. You may be able to breed different types of dogs. They do that all the time. But a dog, no matter how hard you try, will never be a cat. And a monkey will never be a human. It's different species. Everything that was created was after its own species here. Many actually don't understand this, but when we talk about Darwin, um, Darwin's greatest critics were not necessarily the church, although the church are critics of Darwin, no doubt, but actually was rather fossil experts. Darwin admitted that, that the state of the fossil evidence was, quote, the most obvious and gravest objection which can be urged against my theory. And because of the fossil evidence, all the most eminent paleontologists and all our greatest geologists have unanimously, often vehemently maintained that the species do not change. Darwin agreed that that, that, that was his greatest problem, that the fossil experts uh, would not say the species change because there's no proof for that. It, it, it goes on and says, it's a theory for a reason, folks. That's what, that's what, that's the truth. It's a theory for a reason because it's not provable. It can't be proven. It's impossible to ever be proven because God sets up things in his genius design so that there's no argument of his existence. And there's no argument that he is creator of all. There's some intelligent design behind here. And you can't transfer species to species. If you're a dog, you can breed, but it will always be a dog. The architect, Philip Johnson, said this. If evolution means the gradual change of one kind of an organism into another kind, the outstanding characteristic of the fossil record is the absence of evidence for evolution. It doesn't, it, it doesn't work. And here, this is one from the actual evolutionist. His name is now Ed, Eldridge. He wrote this. He said, we paleontologists have said that the history of life, in parentheses here, in the, in the fossil record, that the history of life supports the story of gradual evolution, all the while knowing that it does not. He admits that it does. They know that it doesn't, but we they, they go along with it. Why? Because it's wishful thinking. Wishful thinking really is what it is. Because the moment you acknowledge that God exists, you now know that you're accountable. Most that don't believe God exists is not based on lack of evidence of God. There's way more evidence than you could ever gather that proves God's existence. Most don't believe because they don't want to be held accountable. They don't want a morality standard for their actions. Verse 
24 and verse 25 in the DBY translation. It says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living souls after their kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after its kind, and the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing of the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. So God makes the land animals after their own kind here. Okay, he makes the land animals. And we will actually get into the next day, next week, when we talk about God's great creation, mankind, that he makes in his image. So we thank you guys for joining us. We're going to leave you with a, a, a brief thought here. If we're honest and we open ourselves up to the Bible, the Word of God, it should and it will blow us away. You see, God's genius in creation proves that the only explanation that makes sense is in the beginning God, is the existence of God. And if you acknowledge that, then what we need to know is who are we and what is God's expectation for us? One day there will be a separation of light from the darkness. The good news is being a part of the light is as simple as believing and trusting Jesus to be our savior, to be in charge of our life. It's the smartest decision anyone could ever make. So remember this, Christ loves you, Jesus loves you, and we encourage you to stay steadfast, know that Christ was committed to you on the cross. It was only right that we commit to him. So let's commit to him together, grow together, and stay steadfast. We'll see you all next week.